1: The Athletic.
2: The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbreak off.
3: Hi, I'm Adrian Clarke, in for Ian Stone today, and this is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. It's the morning after the evening before and there's a warm red glow about the place. I've got to say, isn't it good to have Arsenal versus Manchester United back as one of the calendar's true heavyweight fixtures? Isn't it even nicer to beat them with a good old fashioned winner in Fergie? I mean, Eddie time uh, at the end. Uh, We shall thoroughly dissect and debate that Emirates Stadium classic between now and the final whistle on today's show and ponder who else might come into Mikel Arteta's squad between now and the end of the window. Today, I'm in the company of two of the athletics finest writers and football experts. Good morning to Amy Lawrence and Michael Cox. Morning, guys. Hello, Adrian. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, no Stony today. He sends his apologies, but yeah, brilliant to see you guys. What a, what a game it was. Absolutely unbelievable. And I don't know, that last minute winner was just a moment, wasn't it? So let's kick off, shall we, today, with memorable last minute winners for us. It's an obvious one, but let's let's go there, shall we? Uh Amy, I've got a feeling I know which one you might pick. Uh, so maybe, can we go for two two from you?
2: <laughs> yeah, I can't ever answer this question without um, Michael Thomas and 1989 being at the front of my brain. So uh, that's my all-time fave. But I'll give a shout out to Andy Linegan winning the FA Cup in 1993 in the replay. And, uh, you know, nice bit of unsung hero about it as well. And I think you need that in teams of winners. So that felt pertinent as well, because... Uh, you know, the way that Eddie has come in in really complicated circumstances and shown that maybe people who had worries uh, shouldn't have worried quite so much. Still a long way to go on that front as well. But uh, it was just a phenomenal moment for him, I think, to be the man that that delivers that kind of significance of goal. Because the difference between the 2-2 and a 3-2 in that game in terms of them the psyche of the team, I think, is monumental.
3: Yeah, I tend to agree. Scrappy last-minute winners, where it's a little bit of the ball bobbing around in the box. just feels feels even better as well, doesn't it? Uh, Coxie, what have you got for us?
1: The one that came to mind for me was Thierry Henry's header against Manchester United in 2007. Obviously, the, the similar opposition helps. And, I mean, it wasn't a momentous season for Arsenal, that 2006-2007, but it was the first season at the Emirates. And I think of that as the first really big moment at the Emirates. And I think for a club to get a new stadium in it for to feel like home, you do need those huge moments. And uh, yeah, that was a, a standout moment from an otherwise quite forgettable season for Arsenal.
3: Yeah, absolutely. On it feeling like home, by the way, let's let's sort of expand on that while, while we brought it up. That stadium, Amy, is just so together at the moment, isn't it? It's... Every, I mean, everybody stayed behind at the end for what seemed an age, I, I felt. Anyway, we were trying to kick off our post-match debrief on the Breakdown Live and we just delayed it because the punters that were in our studio audience, they did not want to come in. They didn't want to leave leave the sort of auditorium. You know, the, the stadium was still alive two or three minutes after kickoff. Really special.
2: Yeah, I noticed that as well, actually. It was kind of, a, 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 you know, the the sneak off to grab the tube... Um people were were definitely less inclined uh There wasn't so much on the early exits. And I think everybody just wanted to savor and relish the feeling um It was very emotional in there it was charge I mean did you look at zinchenko's face like i I did find that I was just watching people for a little bit after the final whistle. I was just looking at people's body language and their faces and it's just not it's just I wouldn't say not normal, that's that doesn't sound right, but it's it's taken people into a place that they haven't been to before for a long time. And you can see how much everyone cares. And that comes from the top, it comes from Arteta, it filters through the players and it and it courses through into the into this into the stands. And then I think it kind of somehow feeds through the ether to all the Arsenal fans all over the world who are feeling it as well. Um, there is a very strong vibe. I don't know how much you can say that things like that actually can carry you further than you would ordinarily go. they imponderables. You can't kind of calculate the impact of things like that. But it certainly seems to be the wind in Arsenal's sails at the moment, I think, that, that vibration. Yeah,
3: it is normal. You, you were right at the start there. It isn't normal. It, 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 these these feelings, these these moments, that, that kind of connection doesn't come around too often. And it's a long, long time, I think, since, since Arsenal fans have felt this warm and fuzzy about the team. Um, I had a fan tweet me last night saying, I've been an Arsenal fan for 60 years and I can't remember ever liking an Arsenal team more than I like this one. <laughs> and I just went, wow. That, I mean, what high praise that is. And I think it it kind of sums up where we are. On, on last-minute winners, I mean, <laughs> it's not the same, but there was a game that ebbed and flowed in a really similar way to this Manchester United one where we went behind, we came back quite quickly, uh, and then it toed and froze. And in the end, we won it with a last-minute winner. It was in the 1997-98 double-winning season. And my mate Nigel Winterburn. Absolutely love Nige and he just lashed. I mean, fans of a certain age will remember it. He he, he came onto the ball and lashed the ball outside of the foot into the top corner against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in the last minute and we went on to win the double don't know. If we win on Friday night, <laughs> we're going to have to start talking about doubles. Uh, let's not go there just yet. Let's not get too carried away. Um, Listen, we've not got Stony on three. today.
2: Come on, uh, Adrian. You don't. There's not a necessity <laughs> that you have to actually start going all over the top already just because you're in the Stony <laughs> sheets exactly. today. Come on. You know you're nice and calm. <laughs> Here's Trossard now. Uses Sinchenko. Sinchenko's ball across. All to guard
0: in by Inkeji.
3: Arsenal awesome 3, Manchester United 2, it was. Absolutely phenomenal match to watch. Definitely lived up to the hype. Uh, and Eddie and Saka, we've touched on them a little bit already. Hailend FC, the two boys were the stars of the show, weren't they? Um, let, let's get to them f- first up then. Michael, let's start with you. Pako Saka another special performance, another great goal. And it wasn't easy for him, wasn't it, Michael? Because he was up against Luke Shaw, arguably the most informed left-back in the
1: division, and he had to stick at it. But it was worth it, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I thought he was really intelligent, Saka, with the way he varied his positioning. I agree that that, uh, Luke Shaw has been playing well, actually played well for a period at centre-back as well. But I was surprised. I mean, Marcus Rashford either wasn't asked to defend or couldn't be bothered to defend because there was so much space for Saka. I mean, he could just drag Shaw all over the place. If he wanted to take him wide, he could. If he wanted to go inside, he could. And, you know, he obviously scored that fantastic goal and then nearly replicated it, didn't he, uh, about 15 minutes later. And I think when you see something like that happening twice, you've got to ask questions from, from Manchester United's point of view. But yeah, he's, I mean, he's gone to the next level, Saka. I mean, I think from the moment he came into the side, I mean, at left-back initially was, was where I remember him playing. He clearly showed great potential. But I think this level of efficiency and this goal-scoring ability and, and just his his capacity for doing different things. You know, he can come inside and shoot with his left, but he's also very effective at going down the line. And he scored against Leeds with the goal going down the line and using his right foot. So, yeah, he's a nightmare for opposition fullbacks at, at the moment. And I thought he was, you know, in a very good team performance. I thought he was man of the match by a mile.
3: Yeah, Amy, what, what, what were your thoughts on on Bakayo? It's, it, it, we are running out of superlatives. That goal has to be right up there with with one of his best, if not his, his best. Well, doesn't I actually
2: it? made a quite embarrassingly high pitched noise when that went in because um, <laughs> it's quite, it's quite awkward sometimes in the press box. Obviously, you have to behave yourself, and I think it was that sort of. It, it, I couldn't stop it, the noise coming out, but I, it wasn't supposed to be a kind of full blown. Yell so it it went up a few more octaves than normal. I, I may have sounded like I was being strangled. I don't know. So apologies anyone in the vicinity. But um, yeah, it was a it was a very very special goal, and I think it needed special goal in a game like that because I just felt it was it was a very tense match, and it, it did have those senses those sensations of old Arsenal Man United games more closely and, I, and anybody who, who had the pleasure of sitting through even a few minutes of the Liverpool-Chelsea game the day before on, on telly, the contrast was so extreme and it actually stopped me in my tracks a bit because it wasn't that long ago that I felt like you'd watch Arsenal play and then you'd watch Liverpool or, or, or Chelsea or Man City or whoever w- w- was leading the way in the last few years and think, ah, oh, they're playing a totally different, Sport really—it just felt agonisingly different, and the tables seemed con- entirely flipped. Because I would have thought, if you were a Chelsea or a Liverpool fan who sat through that game and then turned around and watched Man United, Arsenal, they probably would have been feeling very aware of how far off the 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 highest standards are at the moment in the Premier League. Um, and I credit Man United. I think you could see their improvement. You know, they they felt to me like the the sternest test Arsenal f- face at the Emirates thus far. Um, and it just fell on that knife edge. And so when a goal like Saka's comes along to swing it, or indeed and uh, Enketi's second goal, uh, and even the first to make the equaliser, you know, when you are living on that knife edge, y- you know, you feel everything so much more sharply. But Saka, what I love about watching him that fascinates me somewhat is that he manages to at once play with this kind of rapid intensity, but also looks relaxed. It's almost like a trick of the eye. I'm not quite sure how he does that. And I think a lot of great players have that uh, that capacity to look completely focused and in their zone, but also relaxed at the same time. Yeah, you know, i think yeah. of a zidane he's, for example he's at the level. Know, uh yeah when you feel yeah. at one with what you're doing when you're comfortable in your own skin when your confidence levels are are high when you've got not carrying any fear it, it, it obviously his his uh his mentality his psycho- psychology about the game is probably just almost as remarkably advanced as the way he plays the game for a boy of his age
3: yeah absolutely and, and he was very cool and calm and funny in the post-match interview, wasn't he? Because, of course, he became the third Arsenal player to score in three consecutive Premier League matches against Manchester United. Freddie Lundberg and Thierry Henry, the others. Yes, I'm happy I accepted the challenge. You know, hello, Freddie. Hello, Thierry. Hello <laughs> in the post-match. Absolutely love that. His awareness of, of the achievement um, was impressive as well, I thought. And they Bakara were both there Saka. to watch, um, which is
2: nice.
3: Exactly, exactly. It was a star-studded affair. That is for sure. Uh, I know you tweeted half an hour after the game that you were struggling to speak, Amy. I had to do, go and do the breakdown live analysis. I was a little bit wobbly for the first couple of minutes or so. It was it was one of those, those evenings. And I know that, that Stoney, who was there watching the game... Um, was emotional oh too <laughs> his, his first two he wanted to send us a voice note and the first two he did send but we'll never hear them because he deleted them before uh, producer Abby had chance to listen to them uh, so we'll never know uh, what, what, what he was feeling in the immediate aftermath but Stoney did compose himself and he sent us a lovely voice note, let's, let's listen to it now um,
0: Hello, well i 've taken about an hour and a half to just to let me calm down after Arsenal Three Me night to a, a pulsating emirates, one of the most brilliant atmospheres i 've been in in quite some time and this team keep producing don 't they um, it 's the belief that I think is most impressive you know when they 're letting an early goal to Marcus Rashford they didn 't let it phase them at all; they just kept playing their game equalised within 10 minutes Uh, and even when it went to two all in the second half we've been attacking for most of that half we just kept playing kept going at them and got I think a deserved win in the end Um, three players I want to mention Eddie and Katia two more goals I don't know what that is five now in six or seven games Uh, Absolutely no worries about Gabriel Jesus not being in the team now. It's just absolutely brilliant to see Eddie doing so well. It's all he's ever wanted to do is lead the line for Arsenal and I'm so chuffed for him. Uh, And the first goal, particularly the header, was great. Uh, Bukayo Saka, obviously. I mean, you know, we're running out of superlatives to talk about Bukayo. But what a superstar. And that one time when he knew he didn't have to take on Luke Shaw, because that was a tough matchup for Bukaya. And he had Christian Eriksen in front of him, and he came inside and buried it in the bottom corner. Great goal. Uh, and the third player is Alexander Zinchenko. I mean, I know he's been interviewed and talked about dreaming about the title and said that when he mentioned that at the start of the season, people laughed. But no one is laughing now. Uh, he is such a fabulous player and he's a winner as well. And he's lifted the atmosphere at a whole place. Um, I'm very, very impressed with him. Um, and I know what people think about me on the podcast, that I get carried away. This, I want to get carried away. I think the point is that this team has, uh, has basically given us enough for us to get carried away. Uh, We're 19 games in, we're halfway through the season, we're five points clear with a game in hand from Manchester City, a a team owned by a nation state. Uh, And we've just gone 11 points clear of Manchester United with a game in hand, I believe. I mean, this is unbelievable stuff from the boys. And um, I enjoyed it very much. (laughs)
2: I did bump into Stony briefly after the game, and and uh, you know, as I was saying before, looking at people's faces, I find really a- a- amazing at the moment. And uh, his face looked sort of strangely ethereal. He was in another another celestial world. That boy, that's for sure. <laughs> I wish I'd taken a photo. Oh,
3: brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, Michael, let's talk a little bit more about about Eddie Nketiah, because there were so many doubts about him when, when he was asked to step up to the plate in Gabriel Jesus' absence. He has impressed greatly, hasn't he? I mean, seven goals in his last seven starts in all competitions. I thought it was another outstanding performance, even if he hadn't have scored. I think he still played ever so well. He, he, he was always looking for the ball. He was working ever so hard. What do you make of his development as a player?
1: Yeah, I think even those who had some level of faith in Enketia will still have been surprised at how well he's done. I think the thing I like about Enketia, and I realise this might sound like a backhanded compliment, but he knows his limitations. He's, he's, he's I'd say, a relatively simple player. He's good at one or two things, but he really maximises those. I mean, I don't think there's many players in the, in the Premier League who are better in the six-yard box, as we saw for the winner. And I've also been so impressed by... The way he receives the ball on the turn, you know, he, he's not necessarily a player who's who's going to be dropping deep and spraying passes out wide, but just his ability to roll defenders, I think just makes, you know, nothing situations into potential goal scoring chances. So he's done really well. He's a different pi- uh, type of player to Jesus, but I think Arsenal as a whole have adjusted well. It's not just him that's done well. I think Arsenal have adjusted well in, in certain ways they play in the final third. So yeah, it's it's been a great success story for Arsenal and you know when Jesus got, got injured there would have been a lot of people saying Arsenal need to go into the transfer market for another forward obviously Trossard's coming in a different type of player but I don't think anyone would consider that at the moment because he's just done so well
3: No he's been he's been outstanding um, our friends at Opta tweeted after Eddie's first goal and um, that it was at the time 36 senior club goals 19 came from inside the six yard box we can count that as 20 now Um, and 37 senior goals in total from him that's you know he is the fox in the box isn't he Amy I thought actually even though the the build-up to to that dramatic winner was was a bit scrambly the improvisation from him Mm. was was really Mm. clever
2: but I think that what has most pleased people and probably Eddie himself as well is that he's had to prove that he's more than a fox in the box I think And in fairness to Arteta, one thing you would say is that he has been committed to Eddie from the beginning, bringing him back from Leeds when he was first appointed. That was a bit of a surprise move and consistently showing faith and singing his praises. And whether that was, you know, it's hard to say exactly whether he's just saying what he sees or whether he's trying to do things for an effect, he has had a a great loyalty to Eddie. And like you say, I think there have been various points at which he either could have maybe gone or somebody uh, could have come in as well, particularly lately. But to carry this... I think when Jesus was out, the first thing really I I almost did when looking at the fixtures was these three fixtures screamed out at me. Newcastle, home... I conceded a lot of goals, Tottenham away, not a happy hunting ground in the last 10 years or so and Man United at home who were, you know, improving and that was where I found myself wondering whether Arsenal would have enough goals in them for those matches and I think the only criticism is that they didn't quite against Newcastle and probably had a player of Trossard's calibre or Smith Rowe been further down the road to fitness been available at that stage, it might have been enough to tip it in the same way that, you know, Trossard coming on did have an impact yesterday. It, it, it did change the attacking dynamic uh, and give Man United something extra to worry about. That you had someone with the um, technical quality and the, you know, he was comfortable enough to run at them quite confidently from the get go. It, it, you know, it was part of that grandstand finish. But to have come through those three tests with seven points and maybe a little unlucky not to be more because they were the better team against Newcastle. In the absence of Jesus, I think is a thing that is uh, it's a massive building block for this team in their development, and uh, you know the next one obviously is, is Man City are on are over the horizon in two different competitions. Mm.
3: But what will happen, Amy, is that we, we've delivered in those games, particularly the last two, where we we could have scored more. Let's face it, Manchester United had a lot of last-ditch tackles in the game. Eddie Ketcher could easily have had a hat-trick with that, that half volley that really he probably should have found the corner from that De Gea pushed away against Spurs. I think we could all see that, that we could have had five there. I do think that that this team will now believe they can go to the Etihad or entertain City at home and really get after them, don't you? I mean, I mean, Michael. I mean, oh, Amy. I'll go to you. Don't you
2: think that the, that the critical factor is keeping as many of these people fit and sharp as possible? And I, and I did think and I quite like Michael's view on this. Um, Tommy Yasu coming on at halftime for Ben White was quite indicative of being able to use the squad in a way that I think Mikel Artest has been a bit reluctant to. He doesn't want to mess about with his so-called sort of first picks too much. But he came in and actually changed the dynamic a little bit.
1: Yeah, I I thought White had a a bit of a difficult first half, actually, against Rashford, who's also on a yellow card as well. And I think that's another positive for Arsenal is the fact that, you know, at the start of Arteta's reign, discipline was a big issue. Arsenal were getting a lot of red cards. They haven't got a single red card this season. Yesterday was the game where uh, if you've got a fifth booking of the season, players will be suspended. And Arsenal have ended with Saliba, Gabriel, Saka and White all on four yellow cards. So they've really, you know... <laughs> <laughs> sailed close yeah, to the wind. A yeah, little, little bit nervy, but it's just little things like that. that it's, it's almost hard to find a phrase for this because people think you're saying Arsenal or whatever team are being lucky. It's not being lucky, but there's just so many yeah. little things that are just go in Arsenal's way, like the winner yesterday. I mean, I thought Arsenal were the better side and really could have won that by two or three goals, but also they came very close to drawing it and they didn't. And I think when a side goes on to win the league in unexpected fashion, I think of Leicester in the same way. I know it's a different kettle of fish, but it was just so many last minute winners, so many things we just thought, oh, that's that's gone their way. And, you know, to get 50 points after 19 games, I mean, I don't think there's much chance of Arsenal sustaining that um but even if they get 40 45 points in the second 19 of games which of course features two games against Manchester City i think they got a very good chance of winning the league
3: yeah i'm i'm so glad you brought brought up that that sort of mentality because there is a point in some games where you get to the last throws of it the last 10 minutes and you think well if we can't win it let's not lose it and manchester united had that feeling eric ten hag had that feeling because he made the substitution with Anthony and uh, he brought on Fred. He went defensive, but here we didn't. We kept pushing and pushing and pushing. It was relentless, wasn't it, in that second half? And that's one of the qualities I love most about this Arsenal team is that desire to to, to keep going and, and break the opposition through relentless, sustained pressure. Now, I've got a stat for you. We had 63 touches in Manchester United's box in the entire game. An amazing stat. 41 of those came during the second half. And I, I, got, on, I got on the hotline to our pals at Opta <laughs> straight after the game. And I said, this feels like it might be a record. Can you tell me if Arsenal have ever done that against a big six team? And the answer is no. Not since records began for this particular stat, which is only going back to 2008, 2009. But... That's domination, and that is winning mentality, is it not, Amy? It
2: is, but it's. Um, I think it was a bit stream of consciousness what I uh, tried to put together from the game yesterday. Um, you know, I said I can't speak, and anybody who knows the old rugby league <laughs> clip knows exactly what I mean. I had a few people on Twitter saying well, you can't spell either. It's like mm, okay. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, you, 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 your brain feels a bit scrambled because there's so much going on. And as Michael said, there were so many little details that were interesting as well. But I think that that, that kind of winning mentality, I called Michael Arteta, a, a, a I think, a, a winning mentality monster or words to that effect. And, <laughs> you know, I, I'm struggling to... Overstate how impressed I am with how much he's changed this team and in in, in, in this club in the time that he's done it. And when you think back to him coming in, <laughs> it seems preposterous that this man walked into a club <laughs> as a young man taking on his first job in management sitting here today. Just seems in, so improbable. It's ridiculous to have engineered this level of turnaround. Um, and it's, you know... As we all saw in the Amazon documentary, he has a very particular level of standards, determination, obsessiveness. Mm. And I do think that he is desperate to win every game. And I know you obviously say that about most managers, but I think he does take it to that nth degree. And, you know, you can imagine him like bolt upright in the middle of the night. I mean, I hope he sleeps well, but, you know, just like brain fizzing with thoughts and ideas about details that might help his team and motivate his team and it seems like the way he is has just filtered straight through into his players because they carry that with with them they're young they should be a bit scared at times they should be a bit overwhelmed and somehow they're not at the moment
3: they're not. It, he's raised standards across the board and, and Michael, bringing up the discipline side of it, I think ties in with that because I think if you have high standards across everything you do, then you're more disciplined on and off the pitch as well. Michael, what's your take on on Mikel Arteta's learning on the job? It's been spectacular.
1: It has and I think there's an interesting contrast with, with Manchester United. I know they're not managed by Show anymore but of course they were for a couple of years until what 14 months ago or something. And in a way, they were similar. In a sense, they weren't that experienced and they came in with a big thing that they know the club. But I think they approached it in completely different ways. Solskjaer was at Manchester United at a time where they were hugely successful and everything he did and said was geared around trying to make the club as he remembered it when he was there as a player. I think the thing about Arteta is I always got the impression he was really frustrated when he was at Arsenal. I think he thought there was a lack of standards. There was not enough kind of tactical understanding that came from the top down and basically just a lack of focus that he almost certainly discovered when he went to Manchester City. And, you know, he never won a league title as a player, but he went to City and he was part of that. And it's almost like the way that he knows the club was he knew what he wanted to change about the club. And it's just so different. I mean, everything about the the composition of the squad, the mentality in the stadium, the age of the side, it's just, it's been a huge... Rebuilding job, really, and you know, there's been times where it's been difficult. I mean, I think everyone's now shifting to saying it's good that Arsenal had patience with Arteta, and absolutely it is. There was a time in winter 2021 where I think it was slightly difficult to see what the plan was and where things were going. But the improvement this season, it it tends to happen, I think, when a manager's rebuilding a club, you think you go from a five out of ten to a six out of ten to a seven out of ten club. Often it just goes from kind of average to brilliant overnight. I think that happened with, with Klopp's Liverpool to a certain extent, and it seems to have happened with Arteta and Arsenal. Do you think?
3: What, what do you think about what Michael said there about his frustrations during his his time as a player here and and, and ways that he thought he could improve things? Is that a fair? Is that a fascinating?
2: Fair I, th- I felt like I was sitting here mm. nodding away to absolutely everything Michael was saying. It's such an interesting yeah. uh, angle to take on it all, and I think it's. it's bang on that 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 uh, contrast between, you know, Solskjaer trying to kind of recreate something and Arteta trying to create something entirely new, you know, take best practices, his own ideas. And I don't think it's as simple as saying that what he's doing at Arsenal is a recreation of Man City either. You know, I think obviously a lot is... is um, Interpreted in his education that he had and the experience he had under Guardiola at Man City, but I don't think that what he's done at Arsenal is a sort of is a direct copy at all. I think he's put his own fingerprints on it too, which makes it even more interesting. Yeah,
3: links in nicely to where I wanted to take us next, uh, and that is Alexander Zinchenko, one of the players that he worked with, of course, at Manchester City. Um, he's come in, and obviously it's a stop-start beginning to life as an Arsenal player because of injury but we are really seeing a footballer now aren't we Coxie I mean he is one of my favourite players to watch just because he's so unique in in the way that he goes about his work in this this hybrid left back central midfield position an absolute natural for it and and he seems a really good lad as well a real interesting character Zinchenko, disgust. Tell, tell me more about him and your observations.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. He's a fascinating player because he's he's almost been built in this mould to be half fullback, half central midfielder. I mean, we didn't see him much as a proper central midfielder for Manchester City. I actually didn't realise how good he was until I watched the Ukraine against Scotland World Cup uh, playoff in June, I think it was. And I, I, I mean, he. I couldn't believe how good he was. I couldn't believe how well he commanded the game. He played almost like a Martin Odegaard figure in that game, um, which obviously he has to be a bit more reserved with Arsenal. But no, he's he's been fantastic. But, but it's, to a certain extent, it's about individuals. But it is, let's be honest, him and Gabriel Jesus, the, the two players who, to a certain extent, have, have transformed Arsenal. Let's be honest, they were Manchester City rejects, really. And for Arteta to get those two players... And use, a, you know, to transform a side who f- finished fifth last season into a side who at the halfway point are ahead of Manchester City is incredible. And it's, it is it is all a team performance. At the start of the campaign, I don't think many neutrals would have put together a Premier League eleven and had any Arsenal player in it. I mean, Saka's a great player. People wouldn't have had him ahead of Salah. Odegaard's a great player. People wouldn't have had him ahead of De Bruyne. And yet Arsenal are midway through on 50 points. It's It's incredible, really.
3: Yeah, it's amazing. Well, if something had happened to, to Thomas Partey and he was out injured, would you use Sinchenko, Amy, in that in that particular position? Do you think he would, he would be able to do it? Obviously, he's completely opposite in terms of stature. Do you think that's the most logical solution or or not? Because I think he's, he's someone that could pretty much play anywhere on yeah, the Yeah,
2: I think that uh, that was the thing that was... Sort of swirling around in my mind for a while now because it didn't look or sound like Arsenal were in the market for another midfield player, either last summer or in the in this January window. Obviously, the Declan Rice slightly intriguing situation adds a little bit of fuel to that sense of waiting. So, if you have to find an internal solution, Szczesny looks like sort of probably the most obvious. But of course, the. Flip side of that is losing what he brings from the position that he plays in, currently. Um, and although he's ostensibly, you know, a left back, he 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 has this freedom um, to pop up all over the place. And in particularly did yesterday, I think it was even more uh, adventurous uh, in the game against Man United because it just looked like it meant so much to him personally. He just looked like he, you know, I felt like whatever he's on, I wouldn't mind trying it type of stuff. It was like, it was wild out there.
3: <laughs> Do you think he made it to match of the day like he promised he would? Oh, I, I don't know if he did. I, I don't think he, think he,
2: would he did. Sleep. Um, I think he would have gone home, watched everything he could watch, been on, on and off all the social media that he fancied, and, you know, on his phone to his friends and, and uh, what have you. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure. When you're as full of adrenaline as he must have been at the end of that, I don't think yeah. he goes home and just puts his feet up.
3: I don't think so. I think Mikhail wanted to give the players a day off. I think he knew it was important. Even though they're playing on Friday, he knew that they needed a day off today. Uh, they, they were out on the pitch. The players that weren't I involved. You were say out it, on doing something it, else a, a, there. <laughs> no (laughs) it sounded like it didn't it um but no they were out on the pitch doing it doing quite a heavy sort of warm down afterwards so I think I think um yeah that's the thinking just switch off for a day (laughs) I think him and a number of the players would absolutely have needed to do that um Mike I know you've written a piece about about wingers from the game it's out on the athletic at the moment um tell us a bit more about that
1: yeah I just I mean I watched the game live and I thought it was a A good, relatively close game that Arsenal deserved to win. And I watched the game again and I thought Arsenal were miles better. I thought they created so many more chances. That stat you mentioned about getting the ball into the box was interesting. I think the contrast between the teams, and hopefully I've explained this in the article, is just the defensive shape. I mean, for all Arsenal's attacking spark, Saka and Martinelli worked really hard without the ball to get back and protect the fullbacks. You just didn't have that for Manchester United. You know, Rashford and... Anthony to a certain extent kind of just walk back into positions and the funny thing with Arsenal is it's not just the wingers that benefit from that because Odegaard drifts really wide he plays he doesn't really play like a number 10 does he plays inside right and Jack is more like an inside left and those players just had so much space I mean the number of clips I found where Odegaard who I think is has been close to the best player in the league this season is in 15 yards of space just desperately Appealing for a pass and Manchester United are just not shutting him down. I mean, for me, that was the the big lesson from from Manchester United's perspective. Arsenal just work really hard without the ball. They've got a a good shape, a deep compact shape, and to to kind of reiterate something which Amy said about Arsenal not just being a clone of Manchester City. I think they're a bit they're a bit tough when they're a bit more old school without possession. That they, they get back into a four four two and they get everyone behind the ball and okay, they press well at times. But just that deep compact shape I think is um, you know partly explains the, the good defensive records and yeah, that's something you just didn't see from Manchester United at all.
3: Yeah Georgie Grahams Arsenal lives on. <laughs> doesn't it in a way there is that there is that that spirit that resilience that we shall not be moved mentality. I, I can see it from the stands, no doubt about it. 19 games gone then 50 points on the board. Amy, what's the second half got in store for us? <laughs> what, what should we be aiming uh, for um, from where you're not we're at? Get that off I mean, of me. one a,
2: game at a time, uh, Clarky. No. I'm not going down yeah, that road. You're
3: still going, still going yeah. with that. That's fine. That's fine. It's far yeah. too early. But if the standards, if the standards are maintained, yeah.
2: But that's such a huge if. I mean, I think yeah. I think you've got to also. Uh, there is a natural shift in temperature, if you like, of a season between the first yeah. and second half of a season. The fact that any comp competitions that you happen to be involved in are are knockout. Obviously, it was the Europa League group stage before. It's now. I, I'm quite intrigued by how. Mikel Arteta manages, you know, the the whole, if you like, of of what's in, in store in the second half of the season. Because, you know, with his win monster head on, he will want to try and win every game, and that includes the Europa League now. I don't know how feasible it is for this squad to be going hell for leather in the Europa and the Premier League uh, at this same pace. We don't know what's going to happen in the FA Cup yet as well either, but theoretically that could still be uh, uh, ongoing. And again, what kind of get what kind of team is he picking for that game on Friday night in regards to the kind of bigger picture of where Arsenal are and looking after players to manage this this. I wouldn't say one-off opportunity, but it feels like an extremely rare opportunity for Arsenal to be in. You know, when you look at the clubs around and the state of the Premier League and the finances and the quality of player that becomes available to all sorts of clubs and their commitment to rebuilds that go on all over the place, um, a little like that Leicester season in 2016, it feels like one that's a bit too good not to seize because you can't be sure that it's going to come along again in the next few years, no matter how good Arsenal feel at the moment. So that's a kind of long-winded, probably, way of of just being cautious and enjoying the moment, which is exactly the way that I'm trying to do it, not get too far ahead of anything. It's way too early. And I think... Even the even the the opponents that you're playing in the second half of the season, there's a different temperature to those games because they've got their own stuff going on. Everything feels more on that knife edge, a bit like yesterday, than in the first half of the season. So, yeah, I I I, I think expecting another fifty points is unrealistic. But you know whether forty is achievable, and where that takes you, I, I, you know, I just want to be open minded and hope for the best.
3: Exactly. Enjoy the moment. Um, I think cautious optimism is is the best way forward. And and what you're talking about there just just stresses the importance again to, to beef up the squad in this January transfer window as much as we possibly can. We'll be talking about that next. You're listening to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
3: I'm Adrian Clark alongside Amy Lawrence and Michael Cox. Brilliant to have your company on this warm, fuzzy morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time you're listening. Um, we are basking in the glow of another great victory for the Gunners, this time 3-2 at home to Manchester United. Uh, but let's talk squad depth and the makeup of Mikel Arteta's um, group. Leandro Trossard has come in. We touched on him briefly earlier on in the pod. Michael, but it seems like a real smart signing to me, someone that can can cover centre-forward and left-wing in particular.
1: Yeah, I think he's a, a very good player. I've always thought he's a player who could step up to one of the bigger clubs in the Premier League. I didn't necessarily think it would be Arsenal, just because I don't think Arsenal always sign this type of player in terms of his age. But yeah, he's he's a kind of ready-made player, which I think is what Arsenal kind of need considering the, the situation in the in the season at the moment. And I thought actually Martinelli, I think he's had a pretty good season so far. I think he's very useful considering Jesus is out and he can go in behind and score goals. I think his last couple of games, he's been a bit quiet as well. So I think just having another option on the left probably works well for Arsenal. But yeah, I think it's a, a pretty positive signing.
3: Yeah, he, he ran out of ideas a little bit in terms of beating wan Saka. I thought, in the game. wan who who was kind of culpable for two of the goals um, by switching off. But I think in general, in 1v1s against Martelli, he handled himself pretty well. Now, Amy, me and you have been banging the drum for another striker for, for what feels like <laughs> um, years. Um, um, he is a striker. Is he is he number three striker? Does this sort of satisfy you uh, in terms of that we actually don't need another number nine now? We've got Jesus, we've got Anketi, we've got Trossard. We do have Martinelli as an option if, if we need him. Is that enough now? Can we stop talking about it? Uh,
2: hopefully. I, I definitely feel much more comfortable about it that uh, a player of his, like Michael says, ready-made stature is available and he can play across the front line and cover in all sorts of ways. And I'm also really encouraged that Smith Rowe is getting closer and closer by each passing week to you know, being able to uh, bring his special qualities um, you know, I do think you have to be able to change games up. You know, we're living in an era now with these enormous substitutes benches, and you need to use them. We need to to, to look after the the shape of the team and the fit individual fitness of everybody you know involved. And if you can give little breaks here and there to players who have been relied upon absolutely virtually every minute of every game, um, really (laughs) important players. And I think that's really such a big help. So I I was pleased with that signing, even though I'm not going to lie and say that the Mudrick thing doesn't still hurt a little bit. Because while I think Trossard looks like a man very much for the present, Mudrick clearly would have been someone for the present and the future. And he does look like his uh, potential Kind of levels are, you know, really exciting. You his know.
3: ceiling, yeah, he's seen so high. He's so quick, Madrid. Yeah, <laughs> you, can, you can, we, you can see why
2: him. Arsenal mm. gave it everything that they had. Put it that way, but I think Absolutely. given that fell through, the fact that they were able to get someone in as quickly as they did, who fitted the kind of uh, criteria that Trossard fits, was was well played. And obviously now there's yeah. uh, and there's more. Uh, expected any moment now at the time of recording you know we're expecting to hear things are signed and sealed on uh, Kivior Uh, is that how you say it Uh, I believe so
3: I think so yeah yeah Jakub Kivior 22 Poland Mm -hmm. international we're signing him from Spezia apparently for 17 and a half million pounds Plus, plus add-ons. Obviously, yeah, that Mudrick money, we've got a bit of spare change knocking around. It makes sense, doesn't it, to to beef up that bench um, and strengthen the areas where we're a bit light. And, and left side centre-back, Michael, is is a position that we don't really have a natural cover for. Gabriel has played pretty much every game this season. Um, I don't know how much you know about Kivior, but... The bits I've seen, he looks aggressive. He looks like a proper defender, but also someone that can can add that balance and uh, the left side centre back.
1: Yeah, I, I thought I wasn't at all aware of him, and then I realised actually I must have seen him play against Argentina at the nine seven four stadium in in Doha last month. Which I must say I don't have any re- recollection of whatsoever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he's another young player. That's
3: a good thing, right? He's a defender. Yeah, didn't notice him yeah, so, I do, I do agree. Yeah.
1: He didn't get embarrassed by Messi or anything like that. So yeah, it, it seems the right, the right kind of mould of player, doesn't it? I expect a player who probably won't play much this season. Um, I just think, unless there's an injury, Arteta will try and keep that defence intact. But uh, yeah, maybe one for the future.
3: Another one for the future, Amy could be. Um, a young teenager, right-back, um, Real did uh, right-back Ivan Fresneda. Um, it's a shootout by all accounts between Arsenal and Borussia Dortmund to land him. About £13 million is the price. He'll be loaned immediately back to the La Liga club should he join us. But again, it's just building blocks for the future, isn't it? I suppose, <laughs> how many right-backs do we need? That's That's what some people might say, but if there's a good young and around and available that might be ready in a year or two's time, it makes sense to go in for them, Not necessarily
2: in a year or two's time. I mean, I think that um, it's part of Arteta's quite aggressive vision, really, that is if he sees someone that he envisages being a serious player, he just wants to get them in and, uh, you know, deal with that later. I mean, you know, I, I still think it was not that long ago that Arsenal's new look back four, which had Kieran Tierney and Tommy Asu in it, was the talk of the town. And yeah, those are yeah. two players that have struggled a little bit for game time this season. And, yeah, you know, Arsenal top of the league. It's very difficult to argue. <laughs> so uh, I think if you are ruthless, and Arteta is then if he sees something that he likes, that he thinks is going to be um, an improvement, because he doesn't want things that are as good as what you've got, he wants things that are better. I say, the Trossard deal is a, is, a, is slightly exceptional circumstances, but certainly when you look at Mudrik and you look at Kivior and you look at uh, Fresneda, then th- that's the sort of thing that is the next phase of developing what has to be A squad that can manage Premier League and Champions League next season. You can't be playing your your, your Uh, second string in the Champions League, obviously. So that's where I think there's a bigger picture strengthening going on. It's not just about right now.
3: Okay. well, with it, with that in mind, then, guys, I know that transfer transfer news isn't your, you know, strongest area of expertise either of you. But um, do you think that's it, or do you think there'll be one, you know, another surprise between now and the window? What's what's your what's your gut telling you?
2: I, I think if they see another person or they've got their eyes on someone else that they like, who's affordable, who's available, they'll they'll try and do it. But I think they can also be pretty satisfied with with uh, what they've what they've managed to achieve so far.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, before we wrap things up, just wanted to bring up the the, the women's team briefly. Their match at, at Brighton was postponed yesterday. It was one of a raft of games that were called off pretty late. You got to say due to due to frozen pitches. Obviously, the Chelsea Liverpool game. Actually kicked off, and then just I think seven minutes into the match, the referee deemed it deemed it unplayable, which seems farcical given given that that during the warm up they agreed to go ahead with the match, and early on in the day that it passed the pitch inspection. So, yeah, not not great, not a good look for the WSL. And I know that um, there are pieces up on the athletic about this. Um, Michael, what, what's your take on on this and the talk or the the anger that's out there that, that the women's teams aren't getting the investment in, in undersoil heating. Should Arsenal, for example, you know, pay for in undersoil heating at Boreham Wood to ensure this kind of thing doesn't, doesn't happen moving forward? The same with Chelsea at Kingsmeadow. Well, what's your view on this?
1: Well, I was actually at Kingsmeadow yesterday for the Chelsea-Liverpool six or seven minutes. Um, and I must say, I'm pleased he got called off for various reasons. One, it was exceptionally cold. Two, of course, the safety of the players. But three, we weren't going to get a good game of football because the players were sliding around. I mean, it was a, a farcical situation, really. I think the undersole heating is, is maybe a slightly more complex debate than it would appear. Of course, we all want investment in, into women's football. But, I mean, if Arsenal pay for uh, Boreham Wood to have undersole heating, I'm not sure how long Arsenal women will be playing at Boreham Woods. I think if, if attendances keep on... Uh, being maintained at the current level, they'll just outgrow it and they'll play at the Emirates, and then Boreham Wood are left with. It's actually quite expensive to, to, to just run and have undersole heating at your ground, I believe, even if you're not using it. So, to be honest, I think the the solution is, in the long term, for for the women's sides to be playing more regularly at, at uh, a club's main ground. But yeah, the, the way it was handled yesterday, at Chelsea was was pretty farcical, and I was I wasn't actually working, but since I was there, uh, I kind of, you know, was asked to speak to a few Liverpool fans who'd made the journey down and called. But I mean, they'd set off at 5 a.m. They'd had a six-hour coach journey. They'd been following the Twitter updates on the way and obviously were overjoyed when it said game on. And then they got seven minutes and and they're back home. And they had to wait as well because the coach driver had to take a one half hour break or whatever it was. <laughs> they, oh, actually had, they had to, to wait for him to gauges. drive him back. And I think the worst thing is next weekend, Liverpool FA Cup away at Chelsea again. So uh, I'm not sure how many of them will be
3: making the journey next week. Yeah, the uh, the the Chelsea players didn't put money behind a bar.
1: I know. I was. Better, I'm uh, yeah. great gesture. Yeah, great gesture by uh, Lotta Moore. I thought that was class, especially because the Arsenal men's game was on the TV, so they could enjoy that. No, that was that was a great gesture. I feel slightly aggrieved. I didn't get uh, didn't get the same from any Chelsea players. Although Emma Hayes offered offered everyone a free hot dog at the uh, rear range fixture, so I will I will take her up on that.
3: Yeah, so you should love it. Uh, Yeah, we got good eggs, haven't we? In the in the men's team and in the women's team. By the sound of it, well done, Uh, Lotta, Woven, Moy. Uh, Right, let's have a song to finish, shall we? Um, Really enjoyed the show. Really enjoyed yesterday. What's the What's the song, Amy, that you want us to to play out on tonight?
2: I've gone for a song by Eddie Grant because I thought Eddie, Eddie, Eddie deserved something, and uh, Electric Avenue. We're gonna rock down to Electric Avenue, and then we'll take it higher.
0: Oh no! We're gonna rock down to Electric Avenue, and then we'll take it higher. Oh, we're gonna rock down to Electric Avenue, and then
3: we'll take it higher. Okay. yeah, it's gonna happen, <laughs> Michael. I was, what's you know, I was
1: trying to think of something with the word. 50 in or halfway you know nice. but I can't yeah. I'm not sure I can go for any I did think of that but I can't really stand that song to be honest and I also don't no. want anything by 50 cent either uh, so I'm afraid I don't have anything but electric avenue is a great shout let's go for that yeah you can you can
3: steal Amy's yeah mine is love is noise uh, from the verve um yeah used to love the verve and uh, just at the final whistle there there was a lot of noise there was a lot of love inside the emirates it was a really really special place to be and uh, yeah hopefully that is it's just just one of a number of big games big wins that we can rack up between now and the end of the season and um, thanks a lot for your time today guys it's been an absolute pleasure and um, yeah huge thanks to amy lawrence and michael cox thanks to you for listening i've been adrian clark in for stoney don't worry he'll be back next time You've been listening to the Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic.